Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Hot off the press from Maybelline New York, it's new Lifter Plump, an intense plumping lip gloss formulated with chili pepper to deliver a heated sensation for an instant plumping effect that lasts. From eight sizzling shades like Blush Blaze, Red Flag, Hot Honey, Coco Zing, and more. An extra-large wand applicator transforms lips in one swipe. Learn more at Maybelline.com. For a limited time, get 10% off your Lifter Plump purchase on Amazon with code 10PLUMP. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. You've probably encountered a man who has an impeccable sense of style. The way he presents himself, down to the smallest details, creates an impression that seems confident but not fastidious. How does a man develop this kind of style? Is it something innate or something acquired through lots of trial and error? My guest today explores those questions in his latest book, Men in Style, Essays, Interviews, and Considerations. His name is David Coggins. He's written for Esquire, The Financial Times, and Traveler Magazine, among many. And in Men in Style, he interviews some of the biggest tastemakers in menswear today to figure out the alchemy of the sartorial arts. Today on the show, David and I discuss how a man's father leaves a lasting impression on his tastes and clothing, the style mistakes even the most dapper of grown men made as teenagers, and how the goal of style isn't to religiously follow rules, but rather to feel comfortable in your own skin. Even if you never thought much about how you dress, this is a fun podcast, and it's your chance to hear about the goofy clothes that I wore in high school. After the show's over, check out the show notes at aom.is slash style. David Coggins, welcome to the show. Thanks. Good to be here, Brad. All right. So you got a great book out. It's called Men in Style, uh, Essays, Interviews, and Considerations. Uh, we'll get more into the book in a little bit. But before we do, uh, for those, our listeners who aren't familiar with your work, can you give us a little, little bit about your background? Yeah, that's of course. I, I grew up in Minneapolis. I'm a Midwesterner, uh, but I've lived in New York for about 20 years now. And uh, I've written about art and for many years, just about art for Art in America and other magazines. And then I started to kind of pulled back and wrote about things that interested me, like fly fishing and design and tailoring and wine and travel. And that's that's mostly what I do now. I, I'm a contributing editor at Condé Nast Traveler. I write for Esquire and other places. Um, and this is my first book, so it was an exciting project to do. Yeah, so what was the impetus behind the book? Why did you decide to write this book? Because it's, it's, it's a style book, but instead of the sort of how-to on style, right? Where like how a suit should fit, you know, how a cuff should break on your pant. Right. Um, it was just, you, you interviewed a bunch of tastemakers in the worlds of men's style. So what was the inspiration behind that? Well, that, that's a very good way to describe it. I, well, for one thing, I was having, not a crisis, but I was about to turn 40, and I thought, I'd like to have a book. Um, and so I, I looked back at kind of the people I knew and cared about and things that had mattered to me, and um, I thought about dressing and lessons we know about style, not as like you said, how to 
you know, what to wear to a black tie event, but kind of how clothes express ourselves and um, the men who I admire, who I think dress well, how they have kind of a sense of who they are and how they fit into the world. I think that happens as you get older um, and you start to kind of look at your father and realize kind of the way he was as a man. And so I, just like you said, I started to talk to people who I felt were interesting and a lot of them are friends of mine. And I said, you know, how did, how did your father dress? How did you dress as a boy? How did you kind of arrive at where you are in the world? And it was really incredible to hear these stories from like really kind of hotshot guys talking about bad decisions they made, the same sort of bad decisions we all make or have made, you know, what we wore to prom and other sort of disasters, bad tattoos and mustaches and things like that. And, uh, and kind of how we arrived at the worldview we have now and and sort of clothes were just a way to express that, but a very powerful way. Yeah. So who were some of these tastemakers, these guys you interviewed? Um, Well, I think people, you'd know, like uh, Whit Stillman, the film director, uh, Sid Mashburn, who's got a great story, Gay Talese, Jay McInerney, the writer, you know, a lot of editors and writers in New York, like uh, Nick Sullivan at Esquire, Michael Haney, um, uh, Jay Fielden, who's, who at the time was the editor of Town & Country, now he's the editor at Esquire. Um, Aaron Levine, who works at Abercrombie & Fitch now, my friend Michael Williams, you know, a lot, a lot of these yeah. people. And, and I think they were really, you know, of course they're friends, but they were they were really honest, which I liked. Because they didn't know what anyone else was going to say, you know. And sometimes when you talk to people, they want to just, oh, I only buy a denim from this place in Japan. You got to know somebody. But it wasn't like that at all. They were they were very frank and... and um, and really honest and, and humane. And I think one of the things that I like about the books was that people really opened up and, uh, and, and you kind of felt closer to them because of it. Right. So let's talk about some of these, these mistakes that these guys made along <laughs> yeah. the way. Well, let's not, let's not talk about the mistakes first. Let's talk about dags. That's one of my favorite sections about yeah. um, how f- these guys' dads influenced their style. Cause it's weird. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, 30, almost I'm 34 um, and I find myself like I'm dressing like my dad, my dad, which is, <laughs> which is weird, you know, because when you're a teenager, you think I'm never going to do that. But like, I'm like the little subtle things like that's what my dad did. Um, so like, how did the fathers of the men you interviewed influence their style? Well, that's, that's a really good thing to bring up. I mean, one thing that was cool is that the men had, you know, all came from different backgrounds. So some of their fathers were really dapper. Some were, you know, working men. And uh, I think there's a time that you, you listen to your dad when you're really young. Uh, he's a kind of, you know, the first man in your life. And then there's a time when you go against what he says just because he's your dad and you're 13 and you can't tell what makes sense and what doesn't. And then I think the interesting part is sort of what you're describing is that you sort of bend back to what, to the kind of smart things he said as you get older and, and you can sort of see more clearly. And uh, so I think the effects on people are very strong. Sometimes you don't see them until you're older. And one cool thing in the book is that I ask people for photos of their dads when their fathers were young you know, when they were in their 20s and 30s. And that's really probably the best part of the book to see all these great guys from all over the world and kind of some of them dressed up and some of them dressed down and you really get a sense of who they are. And uh, and that was nice. And I think, you know, when you see your dad, you're a kid, you just see him like as your dad. And as you get older, you see him sort of as a man and the kind of decisions he's made and you see him in a broader view, you know, in a way that, his life that didn't have something to do with you, you know, because before you see him through the filter of just his responsibilities towards you. And I think when you get older, you, you have a little bit better perspective on that. 
And how did your dad influence your influence your style? Well, my dad, I'm very close to him. I still am. I just uh, traveled with him uh, to Europe. And he, and very strongly, he influenced it. Um, his name is David as well. Um, he's an artist and a set designer and a writer. Um, and he he wanted me to dress, I guess you'd say, appropriately. You know, I couldn't wear a T-shirt. I had to wear a collared shirt. And, uh, you know, there were definitely rules. And he it was very important that I would know those rules before I, I broke them. I guess that people would probably say I dress a little formally, more formally than other people. Now that I'm older, he thinks I'm too conservative, <laughs> that I'm always wearing a tie. <laughs> and he, he dresses sort of more casually than I do. And since he's a big guy, he wears sort of more bold colors and patterns that I, I don't quite do. Um, but it's, it's funny to, um, to see how that changes. And sometimes you, you learn something from your dad and you kind of you take it too far maybe. And, and maybe I did take it <laughs> a little too far because uh, you know, I do like to wear a sport coat and a tie most days. Well, it's a good look. Um, <laughs> Thanks. Well, sometimes though you do it when you're when you aren't made to do it either. You know, like I think some people. You ask what people learn from their dad. I think some people react against that, and some people. It, you know, really depends on your relationship. But I'm always fascinated by people who clearly share a lot in common with their parents and those who those who don't. Yeah, and besides dads, uh, where did a lot of these men get their style influence when they're trying to figure it out? Well, that's really interesting, too, because in some cases you have people who were from far away from big cities, so they really had to study hard, you know, and that's been true for 80 years. You know, if, what are you talking about? Fred Astaire and Cole Porter, people who were from the Midwest who worked really hard and came to New York and kind of invented themselves as opposed to people from London and New York who grew up going to Paul Stewart's store and were very um, kind of urbane from from an early age. So one thing that's interesting to me is sort of how how these men, mostly who do live in, you know, New York and London and kind of bigger cities now, how they kind of arrived at that. And it's not just their fathers. And at that time, many of them, magazines were a big part in their lives in a way that's kind of hard to imagine now. Uh, Esquire and GQ, and this is before the internet, really. Um, and people reading those things and Playboy for that matter as well. Uh, and how they... The, a magazine had a, a lot more cultural impact uh, than I think they do now for, you know, when you have Instagram and street style sites and a million other things. So you would, I also think that magazines took their, viewed their mission differently than they really thought that they were kind of an arbiter of taste and, and, and took that seriously. And um, I, I miss those days personally. Yeah. I mean, when you were interviewing these guys, did any common style icons pop up over and over again? Well, the first thing I, I should say, something they had in common is that when they were boys, uh, everybody had very strong opinions. <laughs> that was something that I learned like when they were seven or that, you know, they liked a color a lot or they didn't like stripes or they would make their mom go back to buy a different shirt because they didn't like the one she got. Or then they would get, she got them a sweater that he begged, someone begged for and then he refused to wear it. So I was, <laughs> it was very interesting to see how these strong opinions, even sort of before you know you have opinions, um, these there were strong beliefs that these uh, boys had, uh, which was very interesting to me. And then I think you get this. I think that you know, teenage life is so interesting. You know, in some cases, you have uniforms at the school you go to, and there were British guys in the book, and they they very much had. It was interesting to hear 
just how intense and finely regulated those uniforms were. And I think some people, that even if they said they didn't like it at the time, but they, in retrospect, it kind of meant they didn't have to make these intense decisions because their you know, clothing decisions when you're 14 and 15 seem like such monumental things. I think at that time, too, you're, you know, you're trying to express who you are and you don't quite have it down yet. And so you're, maybe you want something with a big logo or a sports jersey or something like that. And once you get out of the heat of the moment, and the uh, <laughs> those don't always look so good in the aftermath. Yeah. No. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Like, so, like, when did a lot of these guys get like you know establish their signature styles? So you just said here that these kids, some of these guys, when they were seven, they're very opinionated about their clothes. I wasn't at all. Like, if my mom bought me Bugle Boy from J.C. Penney's, like that's what I wore. I didn't care. <laughs> right. Right. Good. Um, no, that's you weren't so <laughs> difficult to some of these guys. Right. So, but you know, a lot of these guys, um, they've got some unique, you know, you, you look at them. That's like, that's Nick Wooster. That's his style. You look at Michael Williams, like he's got his thing. When did a lot of guys, when did they establish that? Was it in high school? Was it in college? Was it later in adulthood? I think it's later. I mean, that's a really good question. And it's a really basic thing. I mean, something that I, I, I think is you, one thing I like about the way men dress is a well-dressed man, he knows something about himself. You know, I think dressing well is about self-knowledge. And when you see that, that doesn't mean you have to wear an Italian suit. It can mean you wear the right jeans and t-shirt, but it looks like you know who you are and how you fit into the world. And I think that almost by definition has to happen as you get older, probably on the far side of 30. You know, it means you've had a few jobs and you you know, you know where you live and it kind of the same way your apartment or your house starts to kind of come together at a certain point, you know, your wardrobe does too. And I think that, you know, just in general, probably right around where you are, 34 is a good time. You, you kind of, you're, you're a little more settled in what you want to do and you know what you need and how to communicate it. And to be honest, you have enough money maybe to get the things that you want and and even to know what you don't need anymore. You've gone through some phases and you're like, okay, we can uh, put to bed some of these uh, experiments. And, you know, I think having those phases is natural though. I mean, you don't just come into the world perfectly formed. If you did, that would almost be unnatural. Yeah. So what were some of these phases that people went through? <laughs> well, I, I mean, it was funny to me to hear to hear guys that they were particularly obsessed with with more not even street style just like really garish abercrombie and fitch things or more hip-hop clothes and that the sort of thing that people have in college that you don't really know that they have if you've met them much later so you know michael williams was uh was in a more hip-hop you know zone when he went to college and you know that's perfectly understandable but i was totally shocking to me even though he's a good friend of mine you know somebody like um uh, Jay McInerney, you know, he, who's a little bit older, he he totally embraced the shoulder pads era in the '80s, and and I don't think anybody uh, looks back on that um, look fondly. Least of all Jay. <laughs> I mean, he was very kind to like let us use one his author photo from that era, where you know it's like a probably a fancy Giorgio Armani double-breasted suit that just like three people could fit into it. I mean, it's enormous. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. When I was in high school, I went through, I was like in like the punk ska, like surfer. I went through that phase. And then I went through like when like that, I was in high school when the whole like swing revival happened, like big voodoo daddy, like me and my best bud, like we'd wear like these dark denim jeans with like these silk bowling shirts. It was 
I mean, as you look back, I'm like, we look back and it's like, boy, God, we look, we looked hideous. Like it was just absolutely it's terrible. So understandable though. Like I love that. I mean, I think when you're younger too, you look for, you know, tribes or groups to be a part of, you know, whether it's a band that you really like or, or an era and, and that's totally natural to do. And you almost have to like, live through it in the moment if somebody told you yeah, maybe that uh silk shirt a little bit too uh, blousey you're like no it's perfect <laughs> i tracked it down it took me two months to find it i can't wait and uh you're probably it's probably good not that the internet didn't exist when i was you know 18 or 20 because right. some of those things are better left in the past yeah, I know. I feel bad for uh, teenagers these days because, like, everything's documented. Like, you yeah, they can't completely. hide from their like. They, there's no room for experimentation because it'll haunt you the rest of your life. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, did you go through any like weird phases growing up? You know, it's funny. I I, I have to say, I was I didn't go through crazy f- phases. I mean, I once had like a goatee for a little while that is not doing anybody any favors, and. Um, I had like long sideburns from an early age that I don't really <laughs> mind that I did that. But I think I, I kind of just, I didn't even really know what I was doing. I just sort of had them all of a sudden. And, and, uh, and sometimes you look at, I think when you look back at something like that, it's, it's the earnestness that you, you have a, a, in your approach that is a little shocking. It's like you, you seem to take, well, at least when I look back at myself, I, I took those things so seriously, you know, and I believed in them so completely. I didn't, I, I had no, I don't think you have the kind of self-awareness that you have as you get older. I mean, you think whatever band you're into is the greatest band ever and whatever you're wearing is, you know, really important to you and and you even kind of believe in the ad campaign and all the things that go around it and you don't have a, the kind of reflection you have when you're older and you can kind of pick and choose a little bit more deliberately. And so when I look at myself, then I I see somebody who who was, you know, I was very much into art and writing and literature, but really like, liked the idea of being an art student, you know, and kind of, and, and my version of what that looked like was maybe influenced by the movie Some Kind of Wonderful, which was um, kind of a, a really good movie in the 80s with Eric Stoltz as an art student, not surprisingly. And, um, and uh, it didn't quite have the, uh, I didn't, you, you're just not fully formed as yourself yet. And I think that's why it kind of looks like the clothes are wearing you. You're not wearing the clothes. Let's, let's talk about style in general. Um, so a th- common theme throughout the book was this idea of authenticity. And authenticity is, you know, it seems like it's an existential goal for us. <laughs> right. modern, like everything has to be authentic. But, you know, style um, is a lot about, you know, a performance or an, of an image you want to put out to the world. So, you know, it can not be authentic, right? Because you're trying to convey something that maybe not is not true to you, but you want others to think of you. Ooh. So, I mean, is it, is it possible to be both stylish and authentic? And if so, any notable stylish men who have combined the two? That, that's a great question. I think there's always going to be some friction because how you dress is definitely a presentation. Uh, I don't know if that makes it unnatural, but it's definitely, you're, you're presenting something to the world. And, and I like that. I, I, when I see somebody who's very well-dressed, I, I feel reassurance from him. I think he's doing something that he's, he's, 
he's showing the world that he kind of wants the world to be a little bit more formal or a little bit of a better place. And, you know, you can get carried away with that. But I like to see a man who's dressed well on an airplane. I feel like he's trying to, to lighten the mood a little bit. And at the same time, I think a well-dressed man does it for himself as well. So you have this balance, something for the public and for the people you see and even respect and to formality and, and a certain amount of like good manners. And then also the pleasure someone gets out of clothing that they care about. And that in, involves a certain type of secret pleasure that I think most well-dressed men have. I mean, when I see somebody like Gay Talese, who's, you know, a legendary figure, doesn't need me to tell him he's well-dressed. I can see that he does it partly because of the way he views New York and social life here. And also, legitimate pleasure he gets from tailored clothing and traditional clothes made well. Uh, almost everything he has, there are details that nobody would know about beside him. And, and at the same time, when he walks into a room, you certainly recognize it. So that's a good example of somebody who who has it both ways. And I think most people, when they look at him, would say he, he's got an authentic sense of who he is. And I, and I think that's a good thing. But of course, something like that, you can't just try to be authentic. <laughs> I think right. in many cases, it's what you arrive at over time. And I think that is really one, one of the themes of the book and really one of the themes of the things that I care about is how you kind of, when you know what is enough, you know, and if you go to, and if you think about any place you care about or any artwork you love, whoever's made it or whoever is behind it knows when enough is enough and when they want to do something more and that's a little more flamboyant and it feels right or when they know when to keep something simple and they know that that's right. And I think that that is really um, a goal that we all should have. But of course, you can't pursue it. It sort of has to come to you. We're going to take a quick break for your word from our sponsors. Wedding season is coming up, and if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Don't just wear any suit on your big day. Wear a custom made-to-measure suit. Suits start at just $499, which is about the same price you'd pay for an off-the-rack suit at a department store. And they've also got custom made-to-measure shirts starting at just $89. So I've talked about my Indochino suit on the podcast before. They've been a longtime podcast sponsor. It's navy blue. The measuring process was super easy. They got these video guides you follow. You'll need another set of hands to help you out with that. But the really fun part is customizing it. Got to customize how I wanted the lapels on the jacket, the pockets, the lining. I went no pleats on the pants on this suit. A lot of fun. And then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. And now back to the show. Yeah, because if, once you do that you know, hard pursuit, the clothes start wearing you instead of you wearing the clothes. Exactly. Right. You can always tell the guy who's, that's, you can tell he's uncomfortable. Exactly. I mean, the sense of comfort is huge, you know, and, and I think that one, one thing that makes me a little bit sad is that for a variety of reasons, men in, in America have a kind of resistance toward suits and sport coats and formality, partly because they had bad experiences when they were young. And, and then they all, they sort of associate it with conformity or businesses or, or wearing them against their will. And that's really too bad because 
suits can be very comfortable and they can be very expressive and very personal. And most men look really good in them if they're good. You know, if you go into get a bad one, of course, it's not going to be a nice experience. But there's no reason that a man shouldn't have a good suit and look look terrific in it. Yeah. And I love that point you made earlier about uh, dressing up to sort of bring a little bit of format, like dressing up for others because you want to make others feel good. Because I've noticed that too. Like when people like dress for the occasion, like it makes the occasion feel, I don't know, has more heft to it, I guess, more. Absolutely. And uh, so I feel like that's something we've lost with our very casual culture here in the States. That's a really good point. And it's a funny thing because people respond when you dress up. I mean, if you, if you sh- show up and see your girlfriend and you're dressed well, she's, she's going to like it. I mean, there's not very few men I know whose wives or girlfriends don't like it when they dress up. But beside the people who are close to you in your life, I mean, just in general, if you're, if you're in a restaurant and you see somebody who's ready to be there, it, it's really nice. And I think, um, I always like to go to, see what people are wearing at the opera in New York. It's a very international crowd. And to see what people's versions of the best thing in their wardrobe is usually pretty funny. But it's also sweet and reassuring and nice to see people. Like even men, there's a group of people who get together and they just all wear tuxedos. And it's like, it's fantastic. And uh, and I think we um, somehow we've gotten to a place where we view... Uh, dressing down as some sort of more to use, I mean, authentic is a word used before, but it's like, there's no artifice in it. And you know, that works. If you've, if you own Facebook dress, however you want, if you don't, you do not look good in a hooded sweatshirt. And so don't <laughs> wear one to a meeting or even out of the house. Do you, uh, do you work from home? I do. So do you, like, do, I, you I do. Dre- do you dress up like at home? Like- I do. I mean, I have, I dress up. I mean, I don't wear a, a a sport coat in the house, but I, I like to, I just feel more pulled together if I have, you know, a, a, I have a shirt, a college shirt and a big sweater that I like to ride in. And I mean, it's definitely what I wear inside. I guess it would be kind of in the Mr. Rogers <laughs> vibe, <laughs> but uh, I, I absolutely like to feel um, pulled together. I, I just feel more alert that way. Um, or even if I, yeah, I think that's a good good way to say it. Yeah, here's another thing I, I've I've noticed too. Um, as since we've published, you know, style content on our site, and I, I find this, a lot of the style content that we put on the site, it, it's geared more towards like thirty year old, forty year old guys. But there's like there's like I feel like there's this, but I always get pushback from even guys who are in their late twenties, thirties, forties that we the, the idea of style we're promoting is too old. Like it makes it makes everyone looks like dads. Um, like that's a bad, like it's like it's a bad thing um, to look older and mature. Have you seen that as well? I mean, that's an interesting point. I think the prob the issue is you, when you see these clothes. First of all, I love the way old men dress. I have no problem with that. My my dream style is like an old Italian uncle. I and I when I go to Italy or when I look at, at style sites, I like to see what older Italian men wear because they have this sense of formality and a sense of self-expression and you know Italian tailors are fantastic so they really look terrific I think the when people when you talk about complaints that people have or pushback they're they're not seeing how it becomes how the clothes change when they wear them I think that there's a real um, issue with editorial in magazines and online about it's like dress like Don Draper 
Now, that's a terrible idea. Like, Don Draper looks great. The show is taking place in the 60s. John Hamm is, you know, superhuman. And the clothes are made to flatter him and the era that he's in. If you need to know what makes sense for you. How are you built? What's your coloration? You know, how big is your head? What, what color is your beard? And then you say, okay, well, having a narrow lapel, super small collar, really tight tie makes your head look big and, and it looks silly like you just wanted to dress like someone you saw in Mad Men. And, and I think people have to start with who, who they are and what they need and, and then work from there and and that's something that i think um partly because of the way clothes are sold we have brands that have very strong sensibilities so they can kind of communicate to people what they believe in and i'm not sure that's a really good thing if you went back 50 years or a little bit more you know brooks brothers or you know even a proper tailor is really trying to find what makes sense for you and uh I think when people start with that, they're not going to look old in a suit. They're not going to even look old in a cardigan. If they, if they bring some energy to it and, everything, and things fit correctly and the color's right, they'll look really alive and they'll be surprised at how good they look. And they have to give themselves a chance too. I mean, I think when people wear something the first time, I have complete belief and to- that wear it around your house by yourself. Like if, if you wear something, people shouldn't know it's new. It should look like you've had it for a long time and you sh- it shouldn't look like you're trying to decide if you like it or not. You know, If I get something crazy, I'll keep it in my closet for a year. And then when I'm ready, I'll wear it out or I'll even just wear it around the house to kind of break it in. Fred Astaire had, threw his suits against the wall to take the newness out of them. And I think once something looks like it's yours, it, it'll, be, it'll look good. Okay. Um, you also interviewed um, some women. Uh, yes. Their take on the way, that, what they like to see on men. Any insights there for guys or were the tastes so varied that there isn't really good advice there? Well, the f- basic insight is one we all know, which is that women are smarter than men. <laughs> and that, that it was amazing to talk to. The women I talked to were writers and, and kind of creative types and incredibly smart. And I think what they, it was interesting to talk to them because it was about their relationships with men and the clothes that men have. And so I think they, they, they like people dressed up and they like men also to be masculine and and manly. And, um, and I think that at least the people I talk to, and, and I would say the women I know in general find it not effeminate in any way, but very masculine. If a man is comfortable dressing up or even comfortable wearing pink or that, that there's, um, that, that, that's something that they find attractive. And, and I, and I think that's true. So that, that, I don't know if that was a surprise. It was nice to kind of have it confirmed. And I think that men, men don't like it when they feel like they're being dictated to. <laughs> and I, that was a reminder there as well. You know, if, if someone, they don't want something to be forced down them, whether it's by a store or their girlfriend or whomever else. And so sometimes you kind of have to let the man feel like he made the discovery himself, <laughs> you know, that he came to it himself and then he'll think it's okay. But if, if somebody's stressing on, oh, you've got to wear more color, or, oh, you should really wear this, he's, he's going to resist because some things men just don't grow out of. And that, that type of resistance is one of them, I think. Yeah. Um, so like we said earlier, there isn't a lot of prescriptive advice on style in the book, which is, which I, which one thing as I loved, it was refreshing to see that in a style book, but I'm, I'm curious. Um, do you think there are items that every guy should have in his wardrobe? 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've been asked this since the book came out. People kind of want to know, well, what do I think? Where do you start? And my, and it's hard, of course, but my basic rule is if Fred Astaire wore it in a film, it's probably a good idea. And if you go back and look at Fred Astaire's style, he wore classics, you know, gray flannel suit, blue blazer, um, you know, Oxford shirts, white bucks. He looked terrific. I think, I, I think even if you don't wear a suit a lot, you should have a good suit because when you wear it, it's almost always going to be an important situation and you should be comfortable in it. Uh, and so, but people don't look at it that way. They say, oh, I only wear this once a year, so I'm, it's not a priority for me. But I would look at it the exact opposite way. And so I think a, a good gray suit or a good blue suit that you're comfortable in at a place that seems to understand you is a good thing to have. And an unstructured sport coat, I think, is a really good thing to have, too. A lot of companies are making them now. And it, it, it's something you can wear with jeans. You can wear it with trousers. And I think it it looks really good. I mean, I would, I think men should get kind of one of the classic things, like a good English brogue. You know, you don't, if you have the staples in your wardrobe, you'll, you'll wear them more than you think. I don't think you need a lot of clothes. I would get usually the best version of something you can afford and then try to, try to wear it a lot. And it will, I think you'll be happy you have it. I mean, I can, if you really want to get specific, I also think not knit ties look really good on men. You know, you can, you don't have to think about pattern, but the texture is really nice. You get some color in there. I don't think men take advantage enough of, of texture and color. I think they get kind of overwhelmed with concerns of pattern. And I, I don't need, I think that can be distracting. I mean, I, I wear very simple um, pattern clothes myself for the most part, but I, I, I take a lot of advantage of, of texture and color. So going back to Fred Astaire, that guy wore a cravat sometimes. Okay, well, the cravat, cravat, cravat is not for. If you can dance like Fred Astaire, you can wear a cravat. Uh, that is a little bit dandyish, and and <laughs> people who are going to wear it probably even have one or know they're going to wear it. So that <laughs> you got to draw a line somewhere. I mean, I think in general, sorry to cut you off, is that <laughs> is that people um, you want to stay within a comfort zone and. Uh, and that, that you can push it slightly, you know, like I, you know, I have a velvet coat. I never thought I would have one and now I'm used to it and I love it. But the cravat is definitely um, a step that most men are going to find uncomfortable. Do you know any like modern guys you can pull off the cravat? You know, I, I think I do, but they're, they're really in a, a rarefied group of people. And, and that I think the thing that I like about really, successful dandies is that they they make what they're doing seem natural even when it's very rarefied and i've i know some people who've worn some very very extreme clothing and when they do it 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 seems completely natural i mean even even nick wooster one of the keys to his success and something i really admire about him is he makes most of what he wears seem like completely understandable and, and how uh, you, you see the world the way he sees it. And, uh, and when you have that confidence, um, that's a really good thing. And I also think people will go a lot further with you than you think. You know, if you, if you wear a hat that's a little daring, the first time your friends give you a hard time, the second time they're kind of used to it, the third time they think it's your signature style and you're described as, oh, you know, the guy with the cool hat, you know? And I think when you 
you want to wear something enough to make it yours. And once it becomes yours, that, that's a very strong place to be. So besides clothing, um, where else can men express their sense of style? Oh, that's that's a great question. I mean, it's funny though. If you see, if you see a man that you think is well dressed, you kind of think he's going to be good at some other things too. You know, I, I mean, the men I a lot of men I like are you know they they're good cooks, not in a necessarily a flamboyant way, but they're capable in the kitchen. You know, they're well read. Uh, they like to travel and travel a certain way. You know, you take their advice about places to visit. You know, I think these are the things that just happen as you get older. And if you're curious or like to interact with the world in a certain way, it's no surprise that you know about those things. I mean, I think something about the book is the book is not trying to get men to dress like me. I don't want men to. I'm happy to be look different than other people. I, I think it's meant to dress like who they are and maybe a slightly better version of who they are. I think you want to ask a little bit more of yourself and and especially as you get older and hopefully have more success and are more kind of um, secure in where you are in the world. And so I think once you have that, that t- then a certain amount of, you know, sense of who you are, that, that, that will go into other, other places too, how your home is decorated, how you, you know, the way you travel, who, how you entertain when you have people over. I think all of those are an expression of who you are and the things you care about. And, and I respond to all of those things when they're done well by other people. Yeah. One of my favorite sections um, in the book was talking about like things that guys collected or they, what they collect. Um, there Absolutely. was like this, just really just sometimes it was just really weird. Some of the stuff, they yeah. but like, but it like it made sense when you know because you you read you know what their other insights were about style, but like that weird thing they collected is like, oh yeah, that makes sense that he would do that. Well, that it's funny you say that. I mean, there's also a part in the book too about what are things you've inherited from your father and some or grandfather, and in some cases, it's quite obvious why something was passed down. It's a very nice watch, or it was dog tags from somebody who was in the war, and other times it it isn't obvious why that thing was passed down, but you could tell that it's important to the person because there's a history behind it, uh, whether it's just a Western shirt or a Stetson hat. And, and I like these things that have meaning that people give to them over time, and I, whether it's a collection or something that's been inherited. And I think that's, that's appealing to me. I, I'm not as interested in things that have that someone, a marketer is trying to tell you they have meaning because there's a logo on it or it's really expensive or a capsule collection or a collaboration or hard to get or there's a line out the store. I mean, those things will come and go. But the things that your father gave you or that you've collected because you have an affinity towards whatever the thing is, you know, that's that's more meaningful. And I think we should look for the meaning we give to things, not the meaning that magazines or or marketers give things. And so I, that's hopefully a lesson people will take from the book. Well, David, this has been a great conversation. Um, where can people learn more about your work and the book? You know, I actually got a website for this book. I, it was funny when, <laughs> when you <laughs> get to a point where you, it seems like everything has come and gone and we learn in different ways. And at one point, everybody had a website that nobody did. If you go to davidrcoggins.com, you can read part of the book. Um, you know, I'm, I'm on Instagram. I, I love Instagram. Uh, um, 
that's also David R. Coggins. And, uh, and if you Google me, I don't know, I've got articles everywhere, probably too much for people to read about. One thing, though, that's coming out that people might be interested in is in the March issue of Condé Nast Traveler. I went on a road trip in, through the Scottish Highlands uh, on our way with my friend Matt and my friend Jake to the um, Harris, where Harris Tweed is made. And that was a really, really cool trip and a really fun thing to do. And talking about traditional ways of doing things, Harris Tweed, which has been made in very specific ways for hundreds of years, it was very cool to see the sheds where it's made, where the, where the tweed is made. And so that was a fun, a fun trip and a, and a cool thing that I think some of your listeners might be into. And that will be on newsstands in two weeks and online around that time too. Cool. Well, David Coggins, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. My pleasure. My guest today was David Coggins. He's the author of the book, Men in Style, Essays, Interviews, and Considerations. It's available on amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. You can find out more information about his work at davidrcoggins.com and make sure to check out our show notes at aom.is slash men in style, where you can find links to resources where you can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And if you enjoy the show and have gotten something out of it, I'd appreciate it if you give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. That helps out a lot. As always, thank you for your community support. And until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly. Hot off the press from Maybelline New York, it's new Lifter Plump, an intense plumping lip gloss formulated with chili pepper to deliver a heated sensation for an instant plumping effect that lasts. From eight sizzling shades like Blush Blaze, Red Flag, Hot Honey, Coco Zing, and more, an extra-large wand applicator transforms lips in one swipe. Learn more at Maybelline.com. For a limited time, get 10% off your Lifter Plump purchase on Amazon with code 10PLUMP.